everybody, welcome back to But Why the Podcast, and today we are starting spooky season early with the king of horror himself, Stephen King. As always, I'm Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And if you've listened to spooky episodes of this podcast before, you know exactly what guest I'm going to announce right now. Alex! It's me, I'm back, I'm here to be spooky. And yes. uh, why... <laughs> And why don't you tell everybody listening where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, for this episode, you can find me on Friday.com. It's a genre and horror news and review website. I'm one of the editors there. And then I also have Game Boys Podcast, which is a co-op gaming podcast on Goombastomp.com. And I used to have a podcast called What We Talk About When We Talk About, which is a pop culture show uh, that we have since ended just like a month ago, which is still weird, but the episodes are still out there. It's a real good podcast. Y'all should go binge it. <laughs> <laughs> All 160 um, hours of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are going to start off with our question being, what's your favorite Stephen King story? Uh, this can be any one of his many adaptations of his works. It can be his actual novels. It can be a novella. It can be an episode of TV that was based on some random thing that somebody found that he wrote. Yes, those exist. Or it can be stuff from under his pen name. So go. So you gave us a list yeah. of this adaptation, and I'm looking through this, and it's been a hard choice. So I'm just going to name... I actually have seen more than I thought I've seen. That is for sure. Um, if I, I guess if I have to pick one... Eh, I'm going to go with the Shawshank Redemption probably the most. But I do want to at least a give one. a shout-out. Shout-out to at least the original Carrie, not whatever the hell that other one was. Um, yeah, Brian De Palma. Yeah, not whatever the hell that other one is that came later. Um, sure. We don't count. I don't count that one. That one don't exist. That um, one's not that bad. Is it compared to the original? So we'll talk about adaptation stuff that happens with Stephen King because he has. There's a lot of issues. The stuff that people love, he tends to hate, and the stuff that people hate, yeah. he tends to love. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds about right. And I want to do also um, The Misery. Okay. That's what I'm going with. Adrian? Um, I haven't read any of the books, uh, which I think comes as no surprise to anybody who's listened to our podcast before. But movie-wise, I do like Cujo. Not a bad one. Cujo. Cujo yeah. I like Stand By Me, even though it's like kind of not in the other stuff. Stand By Me is good. That is a good one. Good. Mm-hmm. The Green Mile. Oh, that was the other one I was going to say too. Yeah. My mm. top three on this list. And also from like, like the Dark Tower stuff from what I've, you know, read. I haven't seen the movie, but I know like some of the comic stuff I, I like. Yeah. yeah there's, there's some stuff in there. And I do want to say too, as Adrian and Matt pulled out stuff that wasn't horror, although he is known as the king of horror, he pretty much runs through the entire gambit of genre. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like to um, say I did not pull stuff that was horror when two of the three movies I did were probably. But your favorite one was the Shawshank Redemption, which is that not. could still be horror. No. Based on your classification of all this Incar- up, incarceration being, horror. Yeah, <laughs> oh like falsely incarcerated. That could be a horror. Anyway. I hate that I even contributed to this argument. I hate that you did too, Alex. That's not why you're here. Um, I'll go next, uh, so Alex can top us off um my favorite is kubrick's the shining um which i I kind of can't 
count as a Stephen King work because he changed it so much, which is also why Stephen King hates the best horror movie ever made. Um, and then remade it in the 90s on like a made for TV special. Oh, yeah. And it's real bad. It's like f- it's a four part, like eight hour miniseries that is just real bad. Um, but like my favorite, favorite, like I guess like Stephen King piece is actually uh, Pet Cemetery, uh, both the book and uh, Mary Lambert's version. The mm-hmm. remake is actually also really good, which blew me away because I expected it to be bad. Yeah. And then I would probably have to say, to top it off, um, Misery, and I'd probably say a, a like a, a a nice tie between Thinner and Firestarter. Okay. That I think is, Thinner yeah, is those one that good. people sleep on, because Thinner is real good. Firestarter. I don't know that I know man. that one, actually. So Thinner is the one where this really, like, uh, it's a body horror film. Essentially, there's this dude who's, like, really, really obese. He's, a like, a white-collar lawyer, makes a whole bunch of money. He pisses somebody off, and essentially his body just keeps deteriorating over oh. and over and over. And he can't gain weight, and he can't keep weight. And it's because it's like a reverse Santa somebody Claus. over. Yeah, it's essentially Drag Me to Hell, but all body horror, and he essentially wastes away. That's crazy. I like that. I think probably Stand By Me is one that's actually pretty up there for me. I think partly because it's just like a very classic quintessential coming of age type movie set in the 50s. It's like the Sandlot, but with the dead body. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Sandlot, but dead body. Yeah. Oh, it's the Sandlot, but make it spooky by adding a dead body. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, but I think honestly, pretty high up there for me is uh, the It story as a whole. I specifically really liked the 2017 part one. Uh, just the casting for those kids was really great, and the way they did it was great. There was like a little bit too much CG at points, but ultimately, like I had a good time with it, and I really, really enjoyed it. I feel like Alex and I are gonna keep or on opposite ends are gonna be on opposite ends this episode. That could be, but I also, The Shining is also, a, is probably, it, that my top two are The Shining oh, no. and It. I, I just meant, because I, I really don't like the remake of It. Really? I, I yeah. don't care for the 90s one really at all. I'm going to fight you. It's, can I, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you now what my reasoning is, is Tim Curry, the voice that Tim Curry went with for that version of Pennywise is this like gruff New Englander or whatever. And it just reminds me of Krusty the Clown and it kind of takes any fear out of it for me. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, I had never heard that critique before. That's fair. Um, that being Whereas, said... What unsettles me about Bill Skarsgård is that the way he's playing that character, like he's using this dopey voice, he's dancing. He is literally like a demon pretending to be a clown and having fun with it. And to me, that's a lot more terrifying that he, like there's that scene where he like grabs Eddie's by the wrist and like pretends he's going to eat his fingers like people would do with like a small child. And I was like, this is so much worse. This is so much worse than I smoke a pack a day Tim Curry. Like calling so, me from a sewer drain. For me, is that, and I don't know if it's because everybody memed it to hell, but like it's just, mm-hmm. it chapter one in 2017 is way too funny. I don't need Pennywise doing a jig or holding a hand as Adrian does on camera. Like, oh, I, I know the that. hand waving was that was morbid. I like it was. I like, thought it was funny. I mean, it I was funny, but it, it was like me. very much a dark humor point. I think. 
Well, so that that was just yeah. This is not an it episode, but yeah. Yeah. No, I. Well, I, I we'll can probably see... come into a lot of these things, but that is something that is like <laughs> Stephen King more than any other author facilitate author facilitates discussions like these because nobody cannot touch his work multiple times. Yes. So I know we announced a lot of movies and stuff. I do want to give a shout out to a TV show, The Dead Zone, which I actually watched was pretty good. Oh, nice. nice. Which is also on here. And I don't think we had a TV actual show mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I was with it for the first like four or five years. I understand why it got canceled after like season five because the last season or so just got confusing. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. So technically... honestly, it's kind of. Oh, go for it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's kind of a wonder that more of his stuff isn't just adapted straight to TV only because it's so long. Yeah. So, like, when people look at, like, this 650-page book and are like, I could cut that down to two hours. Yeah. And it's like, that's, <laughs> so, a, that's a really bold <laughs> assumption of you versus, like, I could cut that down to eight hours and do, like, a one-season TV show. Yeah. Um, I So I do think my favorite TV show is actually Rose Red, but that's not so much. It wasn't based on a novel that he did. That was him saying, I want to write this adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. And then he pitched it to the company and they went with the terrible Catherine Zeta-Jones one mm. instead. And then Stephen King was like, I have money. I'm Stephen King. I'm going to go sell this to a network and make my version of it. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what like, his career has become at this point, right? Is just it's about having much. that fuck you money. Yep. Like <laughs> where he is. he didn't like Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. And so he just went around and made his own version of it. There was all the comments that have been coming out lately about him saying, like, I've outlived most of my critics and that feels pretty good. Like <laughs> he doesn't care anymore. I will really say I'm disappointed in Kate because you did not mention The Mist, the movie that you seem to do all the yeah, time. I thought oh, yeah. for sure you well, were going to mention The Mist. There's a lot of Stephen King stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, but you download The Mist every time we watch go on an airplane. Yes, I do. It's real weird. I don't know why I do it, but I do it. Uh... You've why watched you that movie at least you could watch 18 the times. Since... on an airplane. Okay, I will not watch The Langoliers on an airplane. <laughs> Uh, well, that, so this is a hard thing for me. It is actually really hard to narrow it down because, like, I grew up watching all of these damn things on USA. Like, my mm. family was obsessed with Stephen King's, like, uh, miniseries and movies. And so there's just so much that I love. Um, I do really love The Mist. And I know people don't like the TV show, but I really like the TV show, too. But the movie with Thomas Jane is grossly underrated for its very very deep and dark ending um but the langoliers is really good and i also do have to say like when it comes to tv stuff uh kingdom hospital is mm. something that i don't think people remember happened because it just kind of ended um which always makes me think about how stephen king was like endings are boring they're just another goodbye Goodbye, Dark Tar Tower series. You're never getting another one. <laughs> uh, have you have you seen it, Chapter Two yet? I have not, and I'm real mad about it. Okay, I'm, I'll just tell you now because I think it's hysterical. One of the running jokes in it is that Bill, as an author, is terrible at writing endings. That's perfect. And they they just dunk on Stephen King repeatedly. Yeah, Stephen King's real bad at endings. <laughs> yeah, real bad. Um. 
but yeah, no, I, I, there is a lot. And as Matt said, I, I do for some reason download the mist every time we go on a plane. Again, I don't know why it <laughs> That's just such a happens. Choice. I, I don't, I mean, I guess it's kind of like, I have a lot of anxiety. Let me watch these other people going through a very anxious situation. And when my plane d- d- mm-hmm. uh, touches down, I'm fine. I get that. But not the Langoliers. I don't, but... No, not the Lang- Langoliers, <laughs> which, which by like, the way, movie... don't ever... If you watch the Langoliers as a kid and were scared, don't ever watch it again. Ever. Just Is never, never put that on. Dude, the... Uh, the I, I remember the, the enjoying the flying, it until you the see the Langoliers. Things, that's the problem. The Langoliers look like fizz gigs. They're, they're just like the floating balls with teeth. Floating balls of hair yes. with teeth. Yeah, they look like fizz gigs. And like very poorly mid nineties three D animated. It's so bad, um, but yeah. So we should get to Stephen King now. Although yeah, I feel yeah, like our it. discussion on all of his stuff, and only I need everybody to understand that is just the very tippy top surface of what Stephen King has done in his career. There yeah. is a whole lot more. <laughs> Um, so Stephen King is an American author of horror, supernatural, suspense, science fiction, and fantasy. His books have sold more than 350 million copies, many of which have been adapted into feature films, miniseries, television series, and comic books. As a, as to- a, a total, King has published 61 novels, including sever- seven under his pen name, Richard Bachman, and six nonfiction books. He's also written approximately 200 short stories, most of which have been published in, published in book collections. If you didn't know this, you should, because at the start of almost every Stephen King adaptation, it will be based on a novella by Stephen King. That's one of his many, many stories. Um, King has also received Bram Stoker Awards, World Fantasy Awards, British Fantasy Society Awards. He has kind of, there is a award to win as a genre writer. He pretty much has them. Um, In 2003, the National Book Foundation awarded him the Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters, and he Mm. also received awards for his contribution to literature for his entire over, um, such as the World Fantasy Award for Life Achievement and the Grandmaster Award at the Mystery Writers for America. And in 2015, King was awarded the National Medal of Arts from the United States National Endowment for the Arts for his contributions to literature. All that being said, when it comes to currently alive authors, Stephen King is the definition of American literature. Uh, which not a lot of people I don't know say, how I feel is, about that, but I don't disagree. <laughs> that, we'll get back to we'll get to that a little bit later, but yeah, Stephen King is pretty contested as a good writer. Um just cuz his his advice is literally write 2000 words a day. That's his advice. That's just law and, of large numbers at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to go into some history. And I did include history about him as a kid. Because as I read this, and if you know any of Stephen King's work, you're going to notice that there are through lines from a lot of his childhood drama into the works that he's done. His parents murdered by a clown. His older brother, you want to see a dead body? <laughs> Showed him the clown. <laughs> <laughs> then he wrongfully went to prison for that clown murder. <laughs> it all ties when together. S- 
When Stephen King was two, his father left his family. King's mother raised Stephen and his older brother David by herself, sometimes under great financial strain. The family moved to De Pere, Wisconsin, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Stratford, Connecticut. When King was 11, his family returned to Door, Maine, where his mother cared for her parents until their deaths. She then became a caregiver, caregiver to a local residential facility for the mentally challenged. King was raised Methodist but lost his belief in organized religion while he was in high school. While no longer religious, he chooses to believe in the existence of God. This is one of the big through lines for a lot of his books. Um, Maine or God? His version, uh, God and usually his version of God is very, 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 very Old Testament and not nice. <laughs> which is usually all his supernatural stuff. Uh, as a child, King witnessed one of his friends being struck and killed by a train. Oh. Though he apparently Ray. has no memory of the event. His family told him that after leaving home to play with the boy, King returned speechless and seemingly in shock. Only later did his family learn about the kid's death. Um... So this is one of those things where a lot of people tie it to his writing, especially Pet Cemetery. But King, to this day, does not acknowledge that he has a memory of this. So it's kind of up in the air. Hmm. Um, he sold his first professional story in 1967, which is called The Glass Floor, to startling mystery stories. And after graduating from the University of Maine, King earned a certificate to teach high school, but unable to find a teaching post immediately, initially supplemented his laboring wage by selling short stories to men's magazines such as Cavalier. Many of these early stories have been republished in the collection called The Night Shift. Also, fun fact, uh, Stephen King got a $250 ticket that he could not pay and he just shopped around his stories until one of them paid him $250 and then paid the ticket that way. And that's when he was like, ooh, I could do this. That's brilliant. Um, I applied to the University of Maine and got accepted, but did not attend. You could have been Stephen <laughs> King, although we both know that's not true. No. <laughs> now uh, would have been King's... the old man in Pet Cemetery saying sometimes dead is better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, he would have been. You need um, to move to he... Maine. <laughs> um, have had family in Maine. Um, it's an interesting place. Uh, King Salem's Law was published in 1975 and in a 1987 issue of the Highway Patrolman magazine after his mother's death King and his family moved to Boulder Colorado where King wrote The Shining which was published in 1977 and then the fa uh, family returned to Western Maine in 1975 where he completed his fourth novel The Stand uh, which was published in 1978. In 1977, the family, with the addition of Owen Phillip, his third and last child, traveled briefly to England, returning to Maine in the fall, where King began teaching as a creative writing professor at the University of Maine. So uh, does he I, just own the state of Maine? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> almost all of his stuff is set is in pretty much that, that stuff. Um, uh, so... So, fun fact, I, the copy of Salem's Lot that I have is from 1975. Oh, that's actually really cool. It's the book club edition. Oh, that's interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry, so, continue. No, this is fine. 
Um, I'm actually, I should have led this with this, this, I should have led with this disclaimer earlier. There's a lot of Stephen King stuff. Um, I had a really hard time organizing it. So I'm probably not going to get all your favorite books or all the but why those feel free to add us and let us know or at me and let me know. Um, in the, I guess actually the Dark Tower books are kind of their own, but why though? I should so essentially that. we're doing what everybody does with Stephen King's work. We're taking eight hours worth of stuff and trying to throw it into an hour. Got it. Yes. That is exactly what's happening, <laughs> especially because a lot of his works kind of deserve their own episodes. Uh, like Carrie probably deserves its own episode. It probably deserves its own episode. The Shining probably deserves it deserves its own episode. Like there's a lot to this. So this is just going to be about the man. Um, so in addition to publishing a lot of books, uh, King wrote his first comic in 1985 writing a few pages of the Benefit X-Men comic, Heroes for Hope, starring the X-Men. The book, whose profits were donated to assist the famine relief in Africa, was written by a number of different authors in the comic book field, such as Chris Claremont, Stanley, and Alan Moore, as well as authors primarily associated in the industry. And then the following year, King published It in 1986, which was the best-selling hardcover novel in the United States that year, and wrote the introduction to Batman number uh, 400, an anniversary issue, in which he expressed his preference for that character over Superman. So Stephen King likes Batman over Superman there. Hey everyone, do you like But Why Though? Well, the PodCoin app is a podcast player that pays you to listen to this podcast and every other podcast. Just get the PodCoin app on your iPhone or Android and start listening today. It's free and super easy to use with every minute you listen getting you that sweet, sweet coins. It turns your podcast listening into charity. Or if you're like me, you can get some Amazon or Starbucks gift cards. I use the PodCoin app to do all my podcast listening now, and I can personally say that I love it. Seriously, just go to the PodCoin app and use invite code though. that's B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O, and you'll get 300 PodCoin just for signing up if you use our code. That's 300 PodCoin just for signing up using code but why though? Cool. So, so now we're going to start a but why those. Um, I, like I said before the break, a lot of Stephen King's work deserves their own episodes and they'll probably get them in the future. But I do want to take time to mention the two big pieces. The first is Carrie, which jump-started King's career. Uh, so in 1973, mm -hmm. King's novel Carrie was accepted by publishing house Doubleday. Carrie was King's fourth novel, but it was the first to be published. It was written on a portable typewriter that belonged to his wife, and the novel began as a short story intended for Cavalier magazine, which was a men's magazine, but King tossed the first three pages of his work in the garbage can. In comes his wife, Tabitha King, who fished the pages out of the garbage can and encouraged him to finish the story, saying that she would help him with the female perspective, and he followed her advice and expanded it into a novel. King said, I persisted because I was dry and had no better ideas. My considered opinion was that I had written the world's all-time loser. According to The Guardian, Carrie is the story of Carrie White, a high school student with talent, and then as the novel progresses, developing telekinetic powers. It's a 
It's brutal in places, affecting in others. Carrie's relationship with her almost mm-hmm. hysterically religious mother being a particularly damaged one and gory in even more. When Carrie was chosen for publication, King's uh, King's phone was out of service and the Doubleday editor, William Thompson, who would eventually become one of King's closest friends, sent a telegram to King's house in 1973, which read, Carrie officially a Doubleday book. $2,500 advance against royalties. Congrats, kid. The future lies ahead, Bill. <laughs> um, according to King, he bought a new Ford Pinto with the money from the advance, um, which I think is really funny because I'm pretty sure the Pinto is the car that exploded if you hit the back. Um, yes. It was. <laughs> or is. It's also the car that they're in in Cujo. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, remember Ford mm. Pinto. Um, in 1973, in May of 1973, New American Library bought the paperback rights for $400,000, which in accordance with King's contract with Doubleday was split between them. Carrie set King's career in motion and became a significant novel in the horror genre. Um, yeah, that kind of speaks for itself. That's why I mentioned it as a but why though, because without Carrie and honestly, without his wife being like, don't be stupid just keep writing, um, we really wouldn't have King where he is um, because it, it just, it crashed onto the scene. Like my mom, my mom doesn't read a lot of books, uh, but she read horror and like true crime books nonstop. And Carrie was like her, the first time she had encountered King, obviously. And that one was one of the ones we had in our house. Um Mm-hmm. Obviously, I said I enjoyed the first movie from 1978, I believe what it was. Yeah. Why'd you really so. like that movie? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I mean, why did everybody else like the book? <laughs> it had everything that Matt loves. John Travolta, people getting bullied, and telekinetic powers. <laughs> There's a lot of blood. A lot of people get... <laughs> a lot of people get murdered. Uh, in the 90s version, she, like, cuts people up with CDs. Yep, it's real good. Oh, yeah. That was the TV one, right? It might have been. I just remember made, seeing it. Being like, a... I get that you're trying to update it, but it, it was, like, maybe too on the yeah, nose for updating. They like had the rage. TV carry. Yeah. And then there was Carrie the Rage. And then there's and that... 2013 Carrie, which is pretty much the old Carrie, but, like, updated. And it isn't. Was that that long ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. The marketing wow. for that one was actually really good. They had like they rigged cafes, and then they would oh, have like that. a yeah. young girl come in and like throw her hands down, and all the stuff would fly off the shelves, and people like ran. They were terrified. When do we get to do an episode on just all the crazy marketing ideas that have probably gone too far? Yeah, that's fair. Between, between that one, we talked about in Mission Impossible episode where they rigged it so much people had to call like bomb squads in because they thought it was going off. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> or there is a lot. Um, so the next really big piece of writing that I wanted to bring up is the Dark Tower books. I've read the first two, so I am not like the biggest person on these 
But yeah. in the late 1970s, King began what became a series of interconnected stories about a lone gunslinger, Roland, who pursues the man in black in an alternate reality universe that is a cross between Tolkien's Middle Earth and American and the American Wild West by, as depicted by Clint Eastwood and Sir Drew Leone in their spaghetti westerns. The first of these stories, The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, was initially published in five installments by the magazine of fantasy and science fiction under the editorship of Edward L. Furman from 1975 to 1981, and The Gunslinger was continued as an eight-book epic series called The Dark Tower, whose books King wrote and published infrequently over four decades. Um, Man, I knew a guy in high school who like did not read anything, but he read those books. <laughs> Like he he like wouldn't touch anything else, but whenever I saw him, he had a Dark Tower book with him. Yeah, I my dad loves them. I have read the first one. Not that I didn't like it; it was they're they're mammoths, they're huge. Um, which is actually why I haven't read that many Stephen King books, is because you could concuss somebody with all of them. Yep. Um, which is also why people don't like his writing. <laughs> um, then, ultimately, uh, one of the other big things that I wanted to bring up, and um, I didn't title this in the notes. Like I said, um, Stephen King is known for horror. He is the king of horror. But he also goes into so many different genres. Um, so in 1982, King published Different Seasons, a collection of four novellas with a more serious dramatic bent than the horror fiction for which King is famous. The collection is notable for having had three of its four novellas turned into Hollywood films. The first was Stand By Me, adapted from the novella The Body. Then there was The Shawshank Redemption, which was adapted from the novella Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. And then the last was Apt Pupil, which was adapted from the novella of the same name. Um, we just know Shawshank Redemption as the movie that apparently lost to Forrest Gump for best movie of the year, and people forget that that happened in that year. Are you bitter about that? I am not, but it is hilarious. You, sound, people... you sound slightly... No, it's actually just more funny because a lot of people, when you look at that year, it is a very... Like, for how highly rated it ends up being and for how much it's actually talked about, it is a very slept-on movie between, like, Free Willy and mm. Forrest Gump and a bunch of other movies that you're like, wait a minute, this these were good compared to this? Yeah. I think Free Willy sucks. It's, similarly, so. we, uh, Friday, a while ago, we did one about, like, movies that kind of got screwed over in the Oscars. Uh, and I don't remember what movies they were, but I want to say it was, like, American Beauty... And The Sixth Sense or something came out in the same year and just kind of swept awards away from literally anybody else. And so it is just a thing of like, oh, tough break. Like, you just happened to come out the wrong year. Well, I guess if we think about this, what came out the same year as uh, The Two Towers? I know, Return of the King. I I couldn't even tell you. Return of the King was the one that swept, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that one kind of destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, with 11 Oscars. What else came out that year? I don't even remember what year that was. Nobody knows because Tolkien doesn't want you to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is, whenever you look at that stuff, it is weird. I just know that is one of the most talked about things like that I've ever seen and like written about for by a lot of people. Just like how this movie fell so far 
Because you ask anybody, like, this movie's great, but then, it, like, nobody in 1994 cared. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, especially, like, as we kind of, like, go through, like, the works that he's done and, like, the critically acclaimed movies, the great movies and the works that, like, people love are mm-hmm. all the novellas because they're short. Because you can actually digest it in a reasonable amount of time. Yes. Which I guess is... I mean, there is something to be said for that, of, like, making your your stories accessible and reasonably length. Not that there's not space creatively or commercially for longer works, um, but to get a big following, like, there's a reason people, more people have seen the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining than have read the book properly. Yeah. So is this what exactly happened since we were talking about The Dark Tower with the one that was just released probably about a year or so ago? Yes. Um, although, like, I thought that there, that was they were there were plans to turn the Dark Tower into a series, but I think from what I from what I had read was they tried to like put all ev- like more elements into the first one that didn't fit, and that it just didn't work well. There's always plans to have four movies, but if you don't make any money on your first movie, then you're not going to get your other three movies. Yes. R.I.P. King Arthur. Yep. <laughs> I was gonna say, what, I was is gonna it say Allegiant Percy. Part Two. Which one? Uh, Allegiant Part Two. It was the Divi- the Divergent series last oh, movie yeah. was supposed to be a two parter, oh, yeah, and they only did right. the first one. I forgot about that. <laughs> that's the worst example. Matt and I of that. actually watched all those movies. So I like the first one, and then they just get extremely worse. And then that last one, you're like, I don't know if this was worth the investment of me trying to finish this series thing out yeah. and because it and because it, it finished halfway through and then they just like did a tv show or yeah, something Yeah, because it was so bad oh which oh similarly i just saw a post on uh i think on reddit people somebody asking about uh it and they bought the 1990s miniseries dvd and they didn't realize that you have to turn it over and so they were like so i don't know like i got to a scene and like some dude just kills himself in a bathtub and then it was over <laughs> oh no <laughs> Honey. And everyone was like, oh, oh, no, that's not where it ends. Like, oh, dear. Like, I checked the package. There's only one disc. Oh, I always think of the Percy Jackson series. I'm still sad that that just kind of got scrapped. Yeah, that first movie was really fun. Yes. Then the so second the one movie kind of sucks. What I will say is when it comes to like the adaptations and stuff that he's been going that he's been getting um, Netflix and Hulu have been real kind to him because they do give him that format of like studio quality while still allowing him to do multiple things. Um, so uh, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three and Castle Rock have mm-hmm. both been adapted from his works and they're both critically acclaim- acclaimed. Um, and then Netflix has had quite a few of, uh, movies from his novellas that have come out. Gerald's Game, which is disturbing, but really good. Um, Mm-hmm. But this also has to do with him being able to adapt to the digital age. Um, King really, really, really embraced the internet, um, unlike a lot of authors at the time. So in 2000, King published online a serialized horror, horror novel called The Plant. At first, the public presumed that King had abandoned the project because sales were unsuccessful, but King later stated that he had simply ran out of stories. And the unfinished um, epistolary novel is still available from King's official website, now free, so you can go read that. Um, Also in 2000, he wrote a digital novella, Writing the Bullet, and has said he sees ebooks becoming 50% of the market, probably by 2013 and by 2012 at the time he wrote that. 
But he also warns, here's the thing, people tire of new toys quickly. So although he really embraced it, he also kind of like, how do you say it? He was cautious, but he wasn't like other writers who refused to sell stuff digitally. Yeah. All we learned last he was, episode. He was there to make money while he could. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we did learn last episode that Adrian does not buy books unless they're online. Yes. So. No, I just don't buy dumb books that should just be like a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the same thing as, you know, how many people did you kill with a chainsaw in an hour? Like, that's just, that shouldn't be in a book. I shouldn't have to buy that. Just tell me that fun fact. That's fair. Now, if there was like a fun fact Is thing fun about Stephen King's want? books... Then no, I probably don't. I probably don't need a book for that. Just give me, just give me the Wikipedia for that. <laughs> um. <laughs> At least Adrian went spooky with his fun facts. I like it. I thought it was because of the Gears episode. I thought it was just a well, blend of both. You got blending the book, right? You got to bridge the gap. <laughs> I don't know how many chainsaw noises do you hear in Stephen King novels? Like I don't know. That that seems like a fact I'd want to read. <laughs> Online and not and in a not book. buy a yeah not a twenty four dollar book yeah I'd like to see it in the IMDb trivia section yeah. yeah exactly right that's what I need I don't need a yeah oh okay uh where was I in yeah two thousand three uh, so in two thousand three King became writing a column on pop culture appearing in Entertainment Weekly usually every third week the column was called was called the pop of king a play on his nickname he also used to have a printed column called i think it was something like king it was like the garbage can or something like that where he just like really leaned into stuff um and then in 2006 king published the uh, pop apocalyptic novel the cell and the book features a sudden force in which every cell phone user turns into a mindless killer King noted the book's introduction that he does not use cell phones. So, uh, first of all, can I talk about the fact that, like, do you, do we want to talk about the fact that, like, people actually had columns and they had names and everything? Do those even exist anymore? They technically do. They're blogs. But do they have cool names like the Pop of King? Yeah, no, I don't. Well, I mean, technically. No, it's like Scary Mommy. <laughs> They're scarefluencers. Oh, God. I hate that. Oh, that was very good. They're scarefluencers. Oh, All right, we're right. done with this. Move on. Move on. We're not doing so this. So right. We're not. Can I, I want to be how a many spooky references? How many spooky references is Kate going to make uh, this month the, and next month? And the following month? <laughs> and the following month. Oh, man. I can't wait for October. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is where we should plug the month of Alex, in which we will be doing all scary things, and Alex will be coming on every episode that month. And Adrian will Adrian will have the option of being here or not. <laughs> Honestly, I get it, Adrian. <laughs> if it's not your thing, it's super not your thing. And Matt will be here to just ride this out, like ride the bullet. <laughs> um. So I included that fact in there just because, like, even though King was totally on board with the digital age. He does not use cell phones. Although he uses Twitter now. And Stephen King's actually really great to follow because he has a corgi whose name is The Thing of Evil. And so he just posts cute corgi pictures that says The Thing of Evil is waiting to take my soul. And it's just like The Thing of Evil like begging for his food. 
Oh, I love yes. that. Um, so one, do we know if he actually uses a cell phone now? Because it's been about 13 years. Yeah, no idea. I will say I had a friend like that that refused I'll to. I'll try and figure it out. I'll look. I'm also curious. Like, it's 2019, dude. Like, so I, you're on Twitter. Do you mean, like, you only tweet from your computer? Like, that's it? I mean. It could be. Yeah. He hasn't that much money. He doesn't have to leave his, his typewriter computer. computer. I mean. Yeah, I guess it's strange. You don't. I mean, people. But how do people get a hold of it? Like, maybe I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm a, I'm a look. I mean, assistance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. I, mean, I had speaking of cell phones, I had a friend who was like that and refused to buy a cell phone. And like we were like, this is probably like 2008 years now, like in 2008, about the same time, a little after this, and he refused to have a cell phone until his job, like forced him to have a cell phone, and they like actually bought him one. And then he like after about a week of finally having a cell phone, he actually locked himself and out of his car keys on the middle on the side of the road, and he had to use his cell phone for like the first time ever. <laughs> And he was like, I hate all of you because I've never done this in my life. And now I have a cell phone. And now you're forcing me to have to use this cell phone and need and justifying me having this cell phone. Terrible. The convenience and the injustice, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a 2018 post from Reddit that asked this exact question. Does Stephen King still not use a cell phone? And one of the comments says, unless Tabitha is taking all the pictures of molly it's pretty safe to think that he does have a cell phone i would agree this is like a lot of work right well, like i would i would agree but then again we do hang out with people who take photos from their actual cameras and you'd be surprised how fast you can just upload them and transfer them real fast whether yeah, it be a cell phone or true. something else it just seems like so much more work and like isn't he he's, isn't he a busy man is he writing two thousand words a day oh. does he really have that time to <laughs> transfer stuff over so just taking it with his phone I have no idea. Maybe he just maybe he still has maybe he just has like a camera and it's like in airplane mode all the time. Or cell phone mm. it's just in airplane mode. I don't know, he but he doesn't want to turn into a mindless killer. I'm gonna take this real quick. So all of you can see Molly, aka the thing of evil. I've seen this. <laughs> Molly, aka the thing of evil, and Yoshi, aka the thing of good, await arrival of Joe Hill's Corgi. The thing of Hey Bro, what's happening? Joe Hill's his son, by the way, which we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, so all that is to say is Stephen King has definitely taken advantage of the digital age, and uh, especially when Kindle was coming out and the early advent of digital books. Uh, in 2009, King published uh, Year, a novella written exclusively for the launch of the second generation Amazon Kindle and available only on Amazon.com. And Throttle, a novel co-written with his son Joe Hill, uh, and was released later as an audiobook titled Road Rage, Road Rage, which included Richard Matheson's short story Duel. Um, so I'm going to include this next part, which is actually real sad, but it's because this was probably one of the most impactful moments of King's life on his work, and that is his car accident. So our, it's not his car accident. Okay, I'll explain. Um, Are we talking about maximum overdrive? Huh? Maximum Overdrive, do you know about this? No. You don't? Okay, so Stephen King made, like wrote and directed a coke-fueled movie in the 80s about all technology trying to kill people, and it takes place at a truck stop. Oh, yeah, I don't... And I, I, I think it has Emilio Estevez or something in it. I'm not surprised. Oh, yeah! Okay, I looked up... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It has the Green Goblin thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Yeah. 
thought Christine yeah. was bad. Christine's but now the actual the... Stephen King car accident. Uh, yeah. So in 1999, at around 4:30, King was walking on the shoulder of a main state route five in Lovell, Maine. Driver Brian Edward Smith, distracted by an unrestrained dog moving in the back of his minivan, struck King, who landed in a depression in the ground about 14 feet from the pavement. Um, according to Oxford County Sheriff Deputy Matt Baker, King was hit from behind and some witnesses said the driver was not speeding, reckless, or drinking. In his book, On Writing, which is one of his nonfiction books where he talks about writing, uh, King states he was heading north, walking against traffic. Shortly before the accident took place, a woman in a car, also northbound, passed King first and then the light blue Dodge van. The van was looping from one side of the road to the other, and the woman told her passenger she hoped that guy in the van doesn't hit him. King was conscious enough to give the deputy phone numbers to contact his family, but was in considerable pain. He was transported to Northern Cumberland Hospital in Bradenton, and then flown by air ambulance to Central Maine Medical Center in Lewiston. After five operations and 10 days in physical therapy, King resumed work on writing uh, in July though his hip was still shattered and he could only sit for about 40 minutes before the pain became unbearable. King's lawyer and two others purchased Smith's van for $1,500, reportedly to prevent it from appearing on eBay. Fun fact, uh, Stephen King, being the morbid person that he was, actually wanted to have a charity event in which he sold uh, tickets to essentially hit that car with a sledgehammer. And then donated the money to charity. That's so good. I love that. They didn't do that. It was just crushed in a junkyard, sadly. Oh. His PR people said he couldn't do it. Who doesn't love a good old car bash? Yeah. Like, his PR people said he couldn't do it. Why? He was like, but it hurt me. Like. (laughs) Yeah. How is that bad PR? That's so good. No idea. (laughs) I don't don't get it. That's dumb. You could do that for about 150 bucks a day, Zay. Today, don't act like people wouldn't pay 150 bucks to smash a sledgehammer. Oh, I totally would because when when he got into this accident, people were terrified, mainly because he hadn't finished the Dark Tower, and they were real frustrated, and that was the first thing they thought of. But also, like at this point in 1989, there like everybody has become familiar with his work, and he had already become a household name. Um. Oh yeah. So in 2002, King actually announced that he would stop writing, apparently motivated in part by frustration with his injuries, which had made sitting uncomfortable and reduced his stamina. He's since resumed writing. (laughs) In shock to no one, the man writes 2,000 words a day. Um, But states on his website, I'm writing, but I'm writing at a much slower pace than previously. And I think that if I come up with something really, really good, I would be perfectly willing to publish it because that still feels like the final act of the creative process. Hmm. Publishing it so people can read it and you can get their feedback and people can talk about it with each other and with you. The writer, but the force of my invention has slowed down a lot over the years and that's as it should be. Um, so ultimately this brings us to the next, but why though, which is his writing. Um, King's formula for learning to write, to write well is read and write four to six hours a day. 
If you cannot find that time for that, you can't expect to be a good writer. <laughs> he sets out each day with a quota of 2,000 words and will not stop writing unless it is met. He also has a simple definition for talent in writing. If he wrote something for which someone sent you a check, if you cashed the check and it didn't bounce, and if you paid the light bill with the money, I consider you talented. I mean, seems Not valid. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> shortly after his car accident, a good rule. Shortly after his car accident, King wrote the first draft for the book Dreamcatcher with a notebook and a Waterman fountain pen, which he called the world's finest word processor. The pen, not him. And people hate Dreamcatcher, both the movie and the book. So he was like real hopped up on drugs. Um, yeah, that sounds like just even the title. I don't even know what that is. I don't, I've never heard of that. Really? That just sounds like some. I remember everybody craziness. hating it. That was yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, cause I'm trying to think because my grandma had all of his books. I can't even remember seeing this one on her. Her cabinet. Yeah, this was in 2003. The movie. That looks awesome. Secret Window is also terrible. <laughs> so did they just find Thomas so Wayne for everything? No, I did not. What'd you say, Matt? So the, I thought. Matt? I was going to say, did we just find Thomas Jane for all of his movies? C. <laughs> what do you say, Alex? Oh, I was just going to say, Secret Window, like, it was, like, plenty predictable and dumb and ridiculous, but I thought it was, like, fun enough to watch, but I also haven't seen it since I was in high school. That's the problem with Stephen King's stuff. You watch it when you're young, it pulls you in, and then you go back to watch it, and it's not that great, except for Pet Cemetery. I have rewatched. I rewatch. I rewatch <laughs> Pet Cemetery every October. It's on my thirty-one days of Halloween or thirty-one days of horror every year, and it's because it's great. And Mary Lambert is amazing. Um, so this year, are you gonna watch the remake, or are you gonna stick to the original? Stick to the original. If not, if, I, I would love to do a double, like a a double feature of both. Um, but it's nothing against the Starry Guys, but. Mm-hmm. The original still holds, and you get to see, uh, oh, and you get sure. to see Stephen King as a priest. He, he like over That's he oversees uh, Gage's uh, ceremony. Yeah, he ceremony. he he does Funeral. cameos a decent bit. I feel like right. Yeah, he does them in almost everything. Just like yeah, I can pop in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he yeah he's in it chapter two. He wasn't in chapter one though, was he? Mm, I don't remember. I also didn't like in okay. chapter one, so I I push a lot of it out of my memory. <laughs> she blocked it That's out of her fair. memory. Yeah, I don't remember him being in chapter one, but yeah, in chapter two, he like owns like an antique store and is just kind of like in for five seconds. I feel like Stephen King should own a haunted goods store where he just buys people's cursed objects and sells it to people. I feel like that's where he should be in life. So basically, you want to take the show Oddities, but you want to give it to Stephen King. Yes. Okay. Or me. It could be me or Stephen King. Just saying. I don't know if you want some of those oddities, if you've ever seen that show. Did you see what made me excited when we were antiquing with your mom? Have you ever watched the show Oddities? Yes. <laughs> okay. Where was it? After Dreamcatchers. Yes. Uh, so when asked why he writes, King responded, The answer to that is fairly simple. There was nothing else I was made to do. I was made to write stories, and I love to write stories. That's why I do it. I really can't imagine doing anything else, and I can't imagine doing what I do. 
He is also often asked why he writes such terrifying stories and his answers this with another question. Why do you assume I have a choice? <laughs> King usually begins. That's a good response, but so weird. It's real weird. I mean, I read you some of his history. He's been through some dark shit. He's been through some dark stuff. Also add in the fact that he has suffered from both substance abuse and alcoholism. Like, he, like Stephen King was literally Jack Torrance for a bit. We talk about this yeah. on multiple episodes again. To be a great writer, you have to see some stuff. Yeah. Because Tolkien went through war. We talked about that. Yeah, it's, it's all rooted <laughs> in, like, either terrible... Like, I, I mean, the writers that I like have very traumatic lives, and they turn that pain into, like, good things. Um, good things. <laughs> the Shining is a good thing. Um, but yeah, why do you assume I have a choice? That's what I should do when people ask me why I keep posting the illustrations from scary stories. Why do you assume I have a choice? Um, King, it's, it's a good answer. King usually begins the story creation process by imagining a what-if scenario, such as what would happen if a writer is kidnapped by a statistic nurse in Colorado. What story is that, guys? Misery. Yes. Um, which great. I'll find it and link it in the show notes, but a theater troupe did a stage play of Misery in which they promoted it by having the character that Kathy Bates plays go into a Barnes and Noble and have that breakdown looking for the author's work from Misery and people reposted it online saying, this is terrible, how dare she act this way? And Stephen King fans were like, uh, that's from a movie, which is from a book. <laughs> so. I'm a personal fan of Family Guys episode where they parody the it's real good with brian and stewie it's real good it is good i will say kathy bates is also the amazing in that movie mm -hmm. um i was gonna say the family guy episode where they make fun of stephen king and he's like sitting in his editor's office like there's a couple uh going to a hotel in maine and they're attacked by a lamp and he like grabs the lamp off the desk and is like ah yeah. Like, are, are you out of ideas? <laughs> yeah. Um, King often uses authors as characters or includes mention of fictional books in his stories, novellas, and novels, such as Paul Sheldon, who's the main character in Misery, about Bill, uh, adult Bill Denborough in It, Ben Mears in Salem's Lot, and Jack Torrance in The Shining. He has extended this to breaking the fourth wall by also including himself as a character in the Dark Tower series from uh, from Wolves of the Kala onwards. See also list of fictional books. I'm not going to do that because that's a Wikipedia thing. Um, so the next but why I want to talk about is imposter syndrome because everybody feels it. Stephen King felt it so much that he decided to... Po uh, to publish articles between in the late 70s to early 80s under a different name, which is Richard Bachman. He published Rage, The Long Walk, Roadwork, The Running Man, and Thinner, all under this name. And the idea behind it was to test whether he could replicate his success again and to ally his fears that his popularity was an accident. 
I mean, statistically speaking, he's not wrong in a sense, so it's probably not a bad idea to try. Yeah. And then an alternate telling of this is that uh, publishing standards at the time only allowed one book per year, and King wanted to do more. Um, but the fact that he picked up the name from a hard rock band, Bachman Turner Overdrive, of which he's a fan, and the fact of like what he published during that time, a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, stick with the first explanation. Um, and that's the one that he's given himself. Um, Richard Bachman was exposed as King's pseudonym by a persistent Washington, Washington D.C. bookstore clerk, Steve Brown, who noticed similarities between the works and later located publishers' records at the Library of Congress that named King as the author of one of Bachman's novels. This led to a press release heralding Bachman's death, supposedly from cancer of the pseudonym. Um, in 1989, <laughs> King, King dedicated his book, The Dark Half, about a pseudonym turning on a writer to the deceased Richard Bachman. And in 1996, when Stephen King's novel Desperation was released, the compilation novel The Regulators carried uh, the Bachman byline. In 2006, during a press conference, King declared that he had discovered another Bachman novel titled, the Bla uh, titled Blaze. It was published in 2007, and in fact, the original manuscript had been held at King's alma mater, the University of Maine in Orono, for many years and had been covered by numerous King experts. King rewrote the original 1973 manuscript for publication. Um, he also used other pseudonyms like John Swifton, and he also had a... Uh, uh, his other pseudonym, Beryl, uh, Beryl Evans, was for his children's book called Charlie the Choo Choo uh, from the World of the Dark Tower, was published under that. Um, so is this yeah. an actual children's book, or is this like a It's children's a children's book. book within the world. Mm. Yeah, but it like, is. Because, I mean, you could argue, like, It or... Chapter One's a children's book, because there's children in it. That's not how classification uh, works. No, that's... No, Matt. <laughs> no. Yeah, like, Moby are... Dick isn't a science textbook. <laughs> it's about not whales. a whaling book. <laughs> I mean, they do do whaling. <laughs> there, well, there's also a lot about whales in it, but it's all wildly inaccurate and has been, you know, disproven by science at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, finally... One of the last, but why those is that he is. That is terrifying. What kid is right, reading like that shit? Like, that is not. That's not Thomas the Tutu Train. Like, he's. Like, I'm gonna ask this question again. Was thinking, this actually a children's this, this like, book? Charlie the Choo Choo's thinking. I think I can kill these kids. Are you yeah, kidding like, that's me? What he's thinking. Thomas the Tank Engine is also terrifying to look at. Not as terrifying as that. Nah. Yeah, no, like he's he's trying to he's trying to. Murder Do you remember kids. some of the things that showed up in Thomas the Tank Engine? I remember people did some yeah, stuff to make it look messed up, but I don't think the actual show was as messed up. That picture right there is, is terrifying. What's so terrifying about that? The second one. Did you see the first one? <laughs> Charlie is going to murder them kids. <laughs> he's going to murder them, and he's gonna smile while he does it. How is this not as creepy? Because he thinks he can. That's why. Because he, he looks like an angry can. poor choo-choo. This other one goes like, 
I'm murdering these kids and I might eat them. This isn't it. I mean, I don't know, man. There's, you, you know, then you have like a little engine that could, like they could like all just get in like a brawl, like, you know, twisted metal Alex, style. what do you feel about think, this? I still think Charlie the Choo Choo Train would wreck both of them. He's much scarier. That's fair. No, I feel like this this looks by the cover like it falls into that category of kids books for adults. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what is that second? Yeah, vote? that's that's what I have to say about that. Okay. What is well, that clown on there doing? That clown looks like he's about to hop off and murder somebody. Come on, man. That's a little engine that could, man. He's just trying his best. Sure. Okay. Moving on. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the next, the next, but why though is probably the biggest one that I have been referencing consistently. He is the king of horror. Yes, it's also a pun on his name. Um, I thought so, he was the pop of king. Huh? I thought he was oh. the pop of king. He's also the king of horror. Um, so he wrote a. Uh, he wrote what is it? Uh, so he wrote a comic book for DC Comics called American Vampire, which was a monthly comic book series written by King with story short story writer Scott Snyder. Um, the reason this is really important is currently uh, Scott Snyder is a really big author in comics. Specifically, he's doing mm -hmm. Batman, uh, the Batman Who Laughs, which is like pure horror. Um, and a lot of that he credits to like working with King and stuff like that. Um, ultimately, he's become the inspiration for many horror writers. One of the biggest things that King does in his work is that he centers trauma, um, including his trauma and that of those around him, into his work. And it's what has pretty much made his stories resonate. Whether it's his drinking mm -hmm. problems, substance abuse, his childhood friend who got hit by a train, his car accident... Um, there are threads of his life that continually come into all of his work. And I think one of the biggest things to kind of note is as much as it is a story about kids fighting a murderous clown, none of those kids have a good home life, like at all. Like all of the kids mm. are actively fighting and trying to survive their own personal traumas. And it's uh, one, of the, one of the readings that a lot of people have given to the book is that those personal traumas are what culminate in Pennywise and ultimately needing to defeat Pennywise hmm. is needing to essentially defeat the trauma to come out the other way and, and if you don't do that effectively it ends up staying with you for your entire life which happens with the Losers Club um, but that is one of the biggest things about his work and why it's really resonated with a lot of people um, that's also one of the ways that I read Pet Cemetery, and especially the newest one came, that came out. It's it's an entire way of processing grief, and especially processing grief of somebody who shouldn't have died. Um, and that the fact that King plays with all of this is why his work, even when it's 800 pages long, sticks with people. Um, there's a really good... Um, I need to get her last name. There's a really good article from Alicia Grosso on Adam Tickets, which uh, the title of mm -hmm. which is How Stephen King Prepared Me for the Constant Hurt of Living in the World. Um, 
And a lot of this is just because Stephen King puts all of his characters through the ringer. You either end up coming into a story where they are already completely hurt and dealing with that trauma, or you're coming into a story in which that stuff develops over time. But all of his people get hurt terribly. Um, and this is ultimately why we like adapting his works, uh, which really is one of the reasons why he's a king of horror as well. Um, he is the mm -hmm. number one living author with the most film adaptations based on theater releases. This doesn't count all the TV adaptations or his original works that were directly made for TV and movies. And he is 34. And if you look at it, nobody even gets close. Nicholas Sparks is at 11. And that is just currently. Um, when I counted... How do we get them to write a book together? Huh? How do we get them to write a book oh, together? Oh, dear. Please no. <laughs> I just need to know what that monster is like. Oh, no. That, no. We can't. <laughs> um, when I counted it up, and this may be a little off, but he has 96 total adaptations across TV, film, and episodes based on his work. And from 2011, he's not included as the most adapted authors. He doesn't crack the top 40 list. But given all of the stuff that has been greenlit for um, uh, for Netflix and everything, he's he's going to be getting there uh, within the next couple of years. Uh, when you look at the top twenty four, technically like more than that because people um, some people tied with numbers. You and he and he can come into the top twenty five if he reaches 102. Um, so when you look at the most adapted, shock to no one, William Shakespeare at 831. Then you have Anton Chekhov at 320, Charles Dickens at 300, Alexander Dumas 243, and Edgar Allan Poe at 240. So um, basically what we thought, just a bunch of old people that died a long time ago, so all we need to have is to go about 200 years in the future, and yeah, he's going to be up there. Oh wait, actually no, he is on this list. Why does this have 127 people? Yeah, no, he's 18 on this list as of 2011. Hmm. At 127. There we go. But also, in 200 years, he will reach William Shakespeare at 831. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be on the remake of It for the 18th time. Yes. <laughs> Like we have. Eventually, they're just going to make it, make a boyhood version of it where they wait 27 years to make part two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you are a Patreon patron, you get access to our show notes and you can see all of these links that have all of their works. Uh, but yeah, so he's what he's the most adapted living person and he's well on his way to become one of the most adapted writers ever. Um. In his book, The Philosophy of Horror, that came out in 1990, Noel Carroll discusses King's work as an exemplar of modern horror fiction, analyzing both the narrative structure of King's fiction and King's nonfiction work on the art and craft of writing. Carroll writes that Carrie Carroll writes that King for King, the horror stories is always a contest between the normal and the abnormal such that the normal is reinstated and therefore affirmed. In his analysis of post-World War II horror fiction, The Modern Weird Tale, 
Critic S.T. Joshi devotes a chapter, an entire chapter, to King's work. Joshi argues that King's best-known works, his supernatural novels, are his worst, describing them as the mostly bloated, illogical, maudlin, and prone to deus maxima eddings. But despite these criticisms, Gerald argues that since Gerald's Game, which came out in 1993, King has been tempering the worst of his writing faults and producing books that are leaner, more believable, and generally better written. That's some good praise, yeah. In a short story collection, A Century of Great Suspense Stories, editor Jeffrey Denver noted that King single-handedly made popular fiction grow up. While there were many good best-selling writers before him, King, more than anybody since John D. McMillan, brought reality to genre novels. And while King's popularity has driven some to shun his work, he... And he does have a lot of writing faults, namely his really long books. Um, He puts out a lot of content, and when you put out as much content as Stephen King, you're bound to have a lot of hits. Um, But he's also acknowledged a lot of his writing faults and a lot of his success, and he has uh, self-described... He has has self-described his work as the Big Mac of authors... Because uh, it's just real accessible and real out there, and it's everywhere. Um, but personally, as a fan, um, I love Stephen King, but I don't necessarily love all of his writing. Uh, I try. I picked up it to buy it and read it, but that thing was like eight hundred pages, and I was like, I'm probably not going to read this. I'm going to put this back. So, yeah. I mean, that feels reasonable. Also, I'm, I'm just piecing together now, like, the two big faults he's known for are really, really long books and bad endings, and maybe that's part of what people don't enjoy about it so much is, like, I sunk a ton of time into no payoff. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, we've talked about... Like, when you combine those two bad habits, yeah, that really sucks. Yeah, because we've talked about it before. You can, you can... As long as your ending's great, you can, you know, absolve a lot of your faults in the beginning. Because yeah. that'll be your lasting memory. Versus if your lasting memory is, this ending sucked, that's all you remember. Yeah, if I get to the end of 800 pages and just think, wait, that's how it ends, that's it? I'm not going to have fond memories of that book. Yeah, I mean, if I, my first 200 pages can suck, but those last, like, 200 are great, then we don't remember those first 200. Yeah. Matt with Anything. wisdom. <laughs> one's just how memory works but i think that obviously like i mean we talk about all the time obviously we don't really do a lot of books on here but we talk about author stuff but i think it happens in movies a lot and even tv shows if you do not nail your ending regardless of a lot of stuff people are going to remember why a lot of people forget dr strange happened because that ending is so bad yeah. yep. third acts matter but why though <laughs> i mean they really do i mean you can make or break a movie in your third act even if the first stuff sucks the third act is good. People still say, oh, this is a great movie, which has been another problem with people. Right, and yeah, and nowhere is that more true than in horror when like the third act goes off the rails and is just really bad. Like that happens all the time with scary movies. Yep. yep. Once... Which is, what do we talk about with Scream? We talk about the very last part of Scream. Yeah. Not that the first parts weren't you know good, but like... No, you, ta- you talk about that opening scene a you lot. You called about true. the also, opening. Yes. True, but... Everybody remembers the end. I don't think Scream... Yes, that's true. It's true, but I also don't think Scream is a good example just because, like, the entire middle section and the start of the... Well, I guess that could be true because the the third act starts when um, he gives the breakdown of horror movies and you end up lining up with uh, Tatum's death. 
at the party. Oh, right, right, right. That yeah. would technically be the mark of the third act, the house party. As a person who doesn't really watch that movie and has only seen it a few times, remember the third act more than anything else. Uh, we're going to be watching that movie for our first community horror night on September 29th. Join our Discord. <laughs> nice. And then, yeah, come back for that uh, that discussion. Yes. Also, it's a really accessible movie. Just putting it out there. If you don't like horror, Scream is actually not bad to watch because it's, it's meta. Adrian, mm-hmm. come join us. Uh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll be very selective uh, on the ones that I I come. I I try to not pick scary, scary ones. I wanted to accommodate, like, horror light. She means to say the pansies of the world. As myself. (laughs) So don't watch Raw. It means to say, I want this to succeed. So I chose some really easy ones in the beginning. (laughs) I watched a trailer for Raw, and I was like... No, I had a hard time with Raw. I had <laughs> to turn me. away from the TV in Raw, and that should tell you something. Oh, that trailer yeah, that, is... that movie's rough. It's real rough. The trailer is rough. Jesus, I don't even... But I, here's the thing. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a good movie. I don't know how soon I need to see it again, but it was really good. <laughs> I've seen it twice because I, I thought to myself... Oh, yeah, it sucked. I mean, it was great the first time, but I, I turned around for it. I'll definitely be able to watch it this time now that I know what's happening. No. No. That's not the case. Like. Yeah, but I mean, I can all. go back and rewatch, like, Stephen King stuff. Like, because it scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. Like, we had a lot of storm drains. I didn't go near storm drains. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll mess you up. Yeah. I remember, like, sitting there after watching. It was, it was, like, on Fox or something like that in the middle of the day. And I just, like, sat there. I was like, what did I just watch? Like, why did I do this? I could have just walked away. Like, I didn't have to watch this movie. I did uh, not take a shower for two weeks as a kid because I was so afraid. Yeah. And Cujo didn't make me scared of dogs, but I was just like, dude, what if my dog gets rabies? Like, I don't want to have to shoot my dog. <laughs> I don't want that. I saw Old Yeller first, so we were good. Oh, God. But for... Yeah, I did see Old Yeller before. But big-ass St. Bernard's scarier than Old Yeller, unfortunately. (laughs) So to put in perspective, the first one is Scream. The second one is Train to Busan, which is a zombie movie. Uh, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Holidays, which is an anthology film. I think those are all fairly... Yeah, those are light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the last thing I do want to end on is Stephen King's activism and his philanthropy. Uh, so in 2008, King actually spoke out against HB 1423, which was a bill pending in the Massachusetts uh, state letter- le- legislature that would restrict or ban the sale of violent video games to anyone under the age of 18. King argued that such laws allow legislators to ignore the economic divide between the rich and poor and the easy accessibility of guns, which he believed were the actual causes of the violence. He also paired that with a nonfiction essay that he wrote and published, which was directly after Sandy Hook, where he critiqued all of the U.S., um, on the brighter note, King has stated that he donates approximately $4 million a year to libraries, local fire department, and local fire departments that need updated life-saving equipment, uh, i.e. the Jaws of Life, uh, schools, or a scattering of, and a scattering of organizations that underwrite the, that underwrite the arts. 
Um, he also established the Stephen and Tabitha King Foundation, which is chaired by him and his wife, which ranks sixth among sixth among main charities in terms of average annual giving, with over two point eight million in grants given away per year, according to the Grantmanship Center. And in 2011, the STK Foundation donated $70,000 in matched funding via his radio station to help pay for the heating bills of families in need in his hometown of Bangor, Maine during the winter. So he's a rich dude who, as much as Alex said, um, he has that FU money, he does give a lot of it back while also paying networks to show his very long made-for-television movies. I do remember the 2008 thing. That was a very interesting, and yeah. And we're still having that conversation. Yeah, but I do remember when that happened, and it was a. It seemed to be a, a giant, huge ordeal, which was crazy because, like I said, it just is one an author who spoke out and everybody think, but it was a huge ordeal. Yeah. Um. So Stephen King has won. I. Uh, like over a hundred awards for all of his work. I have a picture of it. I'm just going to include it in the show notes because I'm not going to read all of these since we're low on time. Um, but one of the lasting things is his legacy. There are, let me check. There are currently three adaptations of his works uh, coming to Apple TV, HBO, and CBS in 2020 alone. He is not going anywhere, wow. and his work is not going anywhere. And I would be remiss not to add Joe Hill. Um, so Joe Hill is Stephen King's son, who refuses to use King's name so he can make it on his own as a horror author. Um, but Joe Hill is one of the leading horror writers in comics right now as well. Um, and he is also having a big uh like a big coming out essentially with adaptations of his works most recently Nosferatu on AMC which you can find all of those reviews for each episode on our site but why um and there's no signs of slowing there either that obviously Joe Hill has his own legacy that he's creating but like yeah you're how did he come up with the last name it. Hill this wasn't a Joe Hill episode. Bobby. Okay. I will look it up, though, because now I'm... Oh, my God! He looks just like his dad. So they do actually have a nice relationship, correct? It's no, just they love to... each other. Yeah, so I thought. Yeah, no, they have a great relationship. It was just when Joe Hill started writing, he didn't want to take any of the spotlight that his dad had already put on him because they knew if he, because he came in as a comic book writer and he's expanded since then. Um, there's a really, I, people don't like it. I liked it. Horns, it's on Netflix right now. That's adapted from one of his novels. Um, mm. But uh, Joe Hill and his father do a lot of stuff together they work on a lot of stuff together, uh, but he just really wanted to make it on his own. He didn't want to deal with any of the, oh, you got here because you're Stephen King's son, because he, he never wanted his stuff to be taken into question. Like, he wanted to succeed on his own merit. Uh, and his, his name, Joe Hill, is because his middle name is Hillstrom. Okay. Hmm. That makes sense. 
So that's how he that's how he came up with it. Um, but yeah, that's well. His dad's gonna have to start hitting with cars and stuff here pretty soon. <laughs> he needs to catch up. Need to add some trauma. Yeah, need some trauma in his life. I mean, his dad was an alcoholic and a, and a substance abuser, so. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Any last thoughts? Final thoughts? Oh, uh, I guess final thought. Yeah. Oh. Alex, you're last. Remember. Yeah. I thought Alex was <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Wait, there's a, here's a, there's, here's another kid. Owen King. Yeah. Is he important? No idea. No. I've never heard of him. Yeah. Take this. No. Oh, um, as for my, he's also a writer, but sorry. Sorry, man. I just didn't know he had another son. I thought he only had the one. Yeah. Um, for our final thoughts, um, obviously he's done a lot of stuff. I, I'm pulling on Adrian and I don't read books. I'm definitely not going to sit for 800 pages. Why did you give Adrian that voice? I don't know. Why not? Also, like, what was the last book you read, Matt? Um, I guarantee you I've made more books than you lately. Probably. This doesn't have to go in the episode, but I read books. Stop making it seem like I'm a dumb person that doesn't read books. I don't so read I don't books. I don't want to buy the uh, video game encyclopedia for Guinness Book of World Records. That's a stupid book to buy. Give me that in a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy books. So like Adrian, I don't buy books. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to say, uh, Doctor Sleep is coming out this year, which looks really good. It's the sequel to The Shining, which came out in 2013 as a book. It's that I have read. It is crazy. Like it is. There's like psychic energy stealing vampires that come for this kid. And it's it's insane. Um not like the Here's the thing. That sentence doesn't make it sound good, but I've seen the trailer and I know what you mean. <laughs> and it, it actually does look really good. Now, Matt. The, the phrase psychic energy vampires. <laughs> now, Matt, back to your uh, insulting Adrian. So for the third yeah, time, my final thoughts are um, obviously I've seen a lot of his works in movies and like Adrian, I don't read books and or buy books. I guess would be a better question. Or better statement. One of the two. See, we don't know. If I read enough books, I would know the difference. Um, <laughs> but no. Um, I do know he has a lot of good stuff. It's interesting. Um, I know a lot of these are horror. I've not seen a lot. But I've actually, when I went down this list, I've actually seen quite a bit of his horror movies. Or like adaptation movies or whatever you want to say. And I probably enjoy them more than I do some of the other ones. Like I know Salem's Lot's great or whatever, but I still, I don't care to watch that movie. I hate watching that damn movie. Is it? It's also a mini series. Nobody cares about that one. Um, yes, they do. That's actually a good one. No, it's not. Did you watch it? You can't say that if you haven't watched it. I don't need to watch it to know that was bad. It's like when they made Salem Lot two. You remember that happened? No. That was the thing. That happened. Is that good, too? It was No, but 1408's good. Uh, yeah. Um, but either way, um, I know, obviously, his importance. I know that a lot of people enjoy his reading. And I do think, like, as we mentioned with the top, like, writers, like, you know, we bring up William Shakespeare, which is about what I was expecting. We just got to give it time before he catches up on that list. And depending on, I guess, how far we actually make it in time... He probably could someday. Oh, maybe not, just because people keep playing like Romeo and Juliet. They're like on adaptation like 200 at this point. So, but he'll probably get up there eventually. And it should be, it'll be interesting. He probably owns the state of Maine. Will probably be the lasting effect. I'm waiting for them to change it to 
the Stephen King state. He so they apparently also don't like him weighing in on elections because he has so much pool. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I've been to Maine. There's more trees than people, obviously, but yeah, that's all I got. I don't really. I had a flow, and then it got interrupted, and then it didn't flow, and then I got interrupted again, and now I'm just kind of throwing well, it together. Well, if you hadn't given Adrian a hick accent when you said, I don't read books. Yeah, why do I get a hick accent for? That's mean. That's fair. You know what a biome is, Adrian? Said it, what I'm... <laughs> well, we're yeah, back to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out of here. SpongeBob No, I just, I want I... Maine to put out black license plates with cat eyes on it that say the Stephen King state. Yes. Ooh. See? Now yes. now that Matt has used the phrase the Stephen King state. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or like a red balloon, just a single red balloon in the center. I want it so bad. I mean, at this point, Maine might as well just accept it and roll with it. Just really lean into it. Get that government funding money off of just people buying Stephen King merchandise. Just do it. Expire his next book. Adrian? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, my grandma had all of his books while she was still alive. And I know that, you know, later in her life, she was kind of like disappointed, like with this thing. So I wish she was still around to kind of see him kind of go back up to kind of where he was. Um, but I just remember always when I would walk into her office and like, if this bookshelf falls, like I'm dead. Those books are ridiculous. And <laughs> I don't know how she just kept reading them and just reading them over and over and over again. Um, but, like, I don't watch any of the horror movies, but I do appreciate, like, a lot of his other adaptations that I just... I guess I didn't really attribute them to Stephen King because I always think about him the king of, like, the king of horror or whatever. But, you know, Shawshank, Stand By Me are some are really, really great. I guess the Green Mile is horror, I guess, like, the movie. Is it horror? Has some horror stuff in it. I don't know. Kind of, I don't know. Some weird stuff happens in it, maybe. I don't know. But, like, stuff like that. Like, I like his non-horror stuff, too, which is kind of to my point, which is why, you know, I will follow stuff, and I will kind of wish he did, like, more stuff like that. Like he did in the, uh, you know, his early part of his career, because it seems like he's just doing, like, a lot of horror stuff. Is that mm-hmm. what I'm getting at a lot of this? And hasn't done, like, a uh, coming-of-age story that's not about kids getting eaten by a clown. Or, you know, give him a dog movie that doesn't have a killer dog. I'd watch it, probably. <laughs> but I am excited to see Kate's takes on the second It and whether or not her and Alex agree on it. So next time Alex is here, we can talk about that again. <laughs> um, I love Stephen King, but I through the course of, like, prepping for this episode and talking through it. I actually enjoy Stephen King. The adaptations of Stephen King's work a lot more um, because I do think that they refine the heart of what he does by taking out all of the unnecessary stuff um, or the stuff that kind of weights it down. But it is funny that like Stephen King loves the TV movie, hates Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is like, I would argue, like the best horror movie of all time. Um, that is, I, when I think of the things that scare me the most, 
they all come from Stephen King. When I think of like the scares that happened in my formative years, they all come mm. from Stephen King. <laughs> like it or uh, Gage slashing the Achilles tendon on uh, the guy. Yep. Because um, my after we watched Pet Cemetery, my cousin hid under the bed and grabbed my ankle. Oh no! Yeah. No. It was terrifying, and I cried for like a solid hour. Um. So I would like run and jump on the bed for a very large portion of my young my young life. Well, that's that's how you avoid the monsters. Yes, that's not nonsense. Exactly. <laughs> Um, again, I didn't shower for like two weeks after watching it. And my mom had to literally pick me up and carry me to the restroom to make me shower in which I cried the entire time. I'm deeply afraid of clowns. I don't like them. Um, and three years ago, I fell asleep watching The Shining and Matt can attest. I woke up sweating and screaming because I was having a dream about it. It was bad. <laughs> Um, yeah that's rough so yeah i would say that there is something about his work and i think a lot of it has to do with the trauma that gets in your mind mm. when you watch it and sticks with you as much as the imagery is scary i do think that there are also larger themes and it's also those larger things that keep me coming back to them and i'm really excited for dr sleep yeah for sure now it's your turn Alex. i think something yeah i just think something with stephen king that's noteworthy is not necessarily how long his books are or how many he's written, but specifically uh, kind of just what he's contributed and enabled to the horror community at large, where it's not just about him writing these stories for people to digest, but for other people to step into and play with and try to recreate for filmmakers, directors, actors, um, cinema, uh, cinematographers, like all of those people to get to take a crack at bringing to life, whether it is the hotel from the shining or Pennywise in it, like all of these people get to like take attempts at telling these stories. Um, and I think that he has done a lot to kind of continue to inspire people to, to dabble in horror, uh, to approach his books, to see what it's all about. Um, and to, I don't want to say normalize it, but kind of almost in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and to really like, I guess inspire people to continue making these stories and making these movies and, and uh, putting it out there. Like he just has done so much uh, and whether or not you like his writing or his endings, um, those endings can always be retouched. They can always, you know, be adjusted and um, people do so when they, when they adapt it, like with the shining uh, for better and for worse. And I just think that, yeah, something that's important is just that so many other people have had opportunities to play creatively and to contribute to this genre and to to art in general so i do think you're right when you think about popular horror i mean like when you think about theater horror and popular horror before this like kind of renaissance of the yes. horror that we're having now it was stephen mm -hmm. king titles yeah and he's very much kind of like a gateway for people both uh, as consumers and creators i think yeah i think you're right on the money it's almost like it was a good idea bringing you on this episode. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Alex, why don't you tell people where they can listen to you, talk with you, you know, do all the Internet things? Yes. So Friday.com for genre news and reviews. That's kind of like my main place for horror. But also I am on Twitter at Most Always Alex, and I am always happy to talk about horror movies there. 
Um, and Game Boys Co-op, we don't do horror there a lot, but it not it doesn't never come up. So uh, that would be a good one to check out. And I think that's it. And then you, you feel so lost. You feel so lost without your other podcast. You just sound and hear it. It's I, it's just weird to <laughs> not do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not like off, but you can tell that you're like, wait, I, I don't, I don't do that one. Hold on, I gotta get my thoughts right. Yeah, I got, I gotta cut that one out of the list. Make sure that I have the rest of the list. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I said earlier, October, I'm taking reins of this podcast and doing scary things the whole month. When so, do you never have reins of this podcast? Never. Not when it comes to horror stuff. I don't get to do nearly as much horror stuff as I want to do. Really? I feel like we've done like a lot of horror we stuff. Not. I I don't How know. Matt, we need, we need some statistics on like our horror versus like comic versus XYZ. And I mean, I feel you like did a lot of dead people. There. Doesn't that count as horror too? Matt, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Matt, I I really would like to see you do a statistical breakdown of episode topics you've covered. No, I, I did that. Should, my, I did because... that our first year, and then we got to do so many episodes. I was like, this is getting too much work. Well, no, because like the only real horror things I did was we did the horror episode when we first started. I've done Night of the Living Dead, Halloween, Scream, this one. I don't think I've done much. Scary more. stories. Oh, yeah. Scary stories. That's six. Six out of 115. Mm, I don't know. I'll just go through these. Horror Matters. I'm counting Buffy. Oh, that's fine. I'm counting Aliens. I didn't do that one. And technically, we don't we don't promote that section of our podcast. So. Yeah, but we still did But that it, wasn't me. It doesn't it. count. It wasn't me. True Crime. That counts. Yeah, true Crime <laughs> that does counts. Uh, Shark Week technically that was counts Matt. when we talk about Jaws. No, but we rarely talk. We did not talk about Jaws that Don't much. Don't you that dare throw Jaws in there. There's there's the Scream episode, yes. of course. Resident Evil, um, yeah. Halloween. We did back to back horror episodes. Actually, uh, what else we got? We got DDT. Uh, that counts. Yeah. Jessica Jones. No. 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 All right, sorry, I was with that one. I don't know, trauma horror. That's all we got. I, all I hear from Kate I is know, there's so many horror. horrors. That's what I, that's what I was Shut thinking, up. right? Planet Earth is technically like... That was a horror for you. Earth horror. That no. was horror for you. You cried on that that's episode. Rogers, that was sure. horror. Then we did a bunch of dead people. I'm, I'm in the dead That does not count. Right I know it doesn't count. I'm just saying. Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Twilight Zone. Yes. Yeah. That's about what? Almost 15 now? Episodes? 15 out of 115. Look at that. That's 10% of our show. Okay, 10% of our Gary show. Gary Stories. Years, if you want to talk about all the gore we talked about. Horror. And Stephen King. That is way more than six. That's more than six. Okay, that's way that's, more that's than decent, six, decent, but nothing. That's a decent, that's a decent portion. That's at least oh 10. That's at least... Little we're looking about ten percent, which is not bad considering theoretically you're only supposed to have thirty percent or thirty-three percent. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We've done a lot of horror, and it's not an indictment on you doing. That doesn't even include all the do... Patreon episodes that are a lot of horror. Patreon episode reviews, yeah. There's a lot in there. Uh, I'm just saying, like it's spooky time, Kate. I, I get, I get it. Uh-huh. But also, it's been spooky time since like episode six. No, it has not. 
it. I do not get to do that many. Not as many as I want. That's true. Okay, that makes more sense. Because Matt just says no. <laughs> and then Adrian says, well, I'm not going to watch it. And then I'm like, Alex. Yeah, yeah and I'm like, I've already seen it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's usually how it goes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so get ready for that. And you can find the podcast as always up at Why the PC on all of our social medias. And if you want to support us a little bit more, head on over to patreon.com slash but why the PC. And at the $10 level, you can make us watch movies. Hint, hint, October is coming. Give us spooky things. Adrian? Oh, wait, wait, no, no. And you can find me at Ohm on Twitter. What? Adrian. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReef93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Ah. And I'm going to finish this episode the way Stephen King did a lot of his stuff. <laughs>